0: This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own Self Work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, And the team and I are on a little vacation until November the 13th when we'll bring you again an original self-work podcast. But I went through the first 100 podcasts and picked either ones that were some of my own personal favorites or ones that are really very how-to. And we'll actually bring you two of them a week. Always with the idea of reaching out to those of you who are already comfortable with psychological and emotional issues. Perhaps you're in therapy. To those of you who've just been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers. Or for those of you who wouldn't darken the door of a therapist's office, but you might just be curious enough to listen to a podcast like Self Work. So here's the rundown. The first will be Tina Turner takes a seat. And that's all about me, actually. I'm Tina Turner. <laughs> Although that's a little bit hard to believe. But it's all about handling aging gracefully. The next is how to learn from a mistake. And there's some very basic tips I give you there. Then another how-to the day before Halloween. Three very practical exercises to increase your self-esteem. If you've been listening to self-work for a while, you know I'm all about what you can do about it. And so this gets very specific. On the anniversary of Perfectly Hidden Depression coming out, I pulled a podcast about answering your questions about Perfectly Hidden Depression, and they were great questions. I can't believe the book's been out a year. The next is the day of the election, and I decided to republish an episode called Kindness Matters. I'm remembering someone in this episode who was very kind to me during a particularly chaotic part of my life. The next is another how-to how to Become an Emotional grown-up, And many of you have told me that this particular episode really applied to you and your life. And then the last is right before we come back on, all about the victim-savior relationship. A lot of you wanted to know more about that when I recorded the Trauma Bond podcast just a few weeks ago, so I decided to pull it back up for you. So I hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts. Again, we'll be back with fresh shows on november the 13th but we're having a little bit of rest and vacay as they say <laughs> but before i sign off i would like you to hear this offer from better help a sponsor of the self-work podcast and who i'm delighted to have on board they've got a special offer for you When I was approached by BetterHelp now several months ago, COVID hadn't emerged and I'd maybe conducted a handful of telehealth sessions, mostly when someone was sick and couldn't make it into the office. Now, five months later, I'm even more of a believer in telehealth. It took some getting used to, but actually clients sometimes seem more relaxed. It fits better into their schedule. And although many have told me they miss seeing me in person, it's still been a very fulfilling relationship. I've even started new patients, and they've told me they had positive experiences, so we've never actually met in person. BetterHelp is rated the number one online therapy service that's available to you wherever you live. Confidential and highly personalized, it's much less expensive than normal talk therapy. You can text, have video chats, or just talk on the phone. You outline what you're looking for and BetterHelp suggests several therapist options for you. If you don't seem to find a way to connect with one, they'll ask you more about what you're looking for and then suggest others. I, of course, tried it out before I was going to recommend it to you, and the two therapists I had sessions with listened well and made great suggestions for me, and one said, actually, I might make myself. I talked about my own panic disorder and a very scary situation I'd been through, and they were caring and thoughtful. And I was amazed at how easy it was to get in touch with them to make time changes, for example. Although BetterHelp can't be there in emergencies, nor could any online provider, they have all kinds of information about what you can do in that special circumstance. And today, BetterHelp has a great savings offer for you. If you use the link, trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork again, that's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork, you can enjoy a 10% discount on your first month of sessions. After five months of seeing how people relate to telehealth, I'd highly recommend it. If selfwork has helped you, maybe BetterHelp can give you an even more personal experience with therapy. And so, now we'll focus on the topic of the day. Take care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and I'll see you November the 13th. You know, I can't really believe it's been almost three years since I recorded that first podcast on Perfectly Hidden Depression. Why did I do it so early? I was told when I took podcast training that the average number of episodes anyone actually recorded was eight. So as I start episode 146, I have to laugh. I was determined to get it in so that the information would be out there, a passion I've had now for several years. So what's different now from then? I listened to that podcast to prepare for this one, and I wanted to determine just that. What have I learned since recording it? First of all, thank goodness I found a marvelous audio engineer (laughs) whose edits are far cleaner than mine could ever be. Someone wrote me the other day to comment, how did I keep out all the ums and mistakes? I don't. John Crowley takes them out. I can assure you that there are many things that have to be edited like when I forget to turn off my notifications or when I'm a little too sleepy still and my voice is pretty ragged. I thought y'all might be interested in the process I've gone through to get Perfectly Hidden Depression published. Not every detail, but kind of a basic timeline. So I wondered where I was in the book writing process when I recorded that first episode on November the 6th of 2016. At that point, I was still very much in what's called a book proposal stage. That's what you present to publishing houses. I had lucked out and stumbled onto an agent, which is a story in and of itself, which I won't tell. A proposal is where you have to tell a publisher about the importance of the book, why, for example, you're the one to write it. Who's the audience you're trying to reach? You give an outline of all the chapters, all of which was totally new to me. And actually, I remember when I started, I wasn't real sure where I was going with the book. Then that proposal will be shopped around by my agent. I started writing that proposal in the summer of 2016 and finished it in early 2017. That's when it traveled out in front of acquiring editors and publishing houses, many of whom said they thought the book was needed. But what's called my platform wasn't big enough. Basically, nobody knew who I was. This was kind of hard to hear because I'd worked pretty hard on building a base, but Oprah and I aren't buddies, nor do I hang out in New York or L.A. with a bunch of publishing folks. So I took that challenge and built my platform from then on. And this podcast sprang from those efforts as I was considering how I could get out there more. I've never believed in slick advertising or promotion. I wanted to do something that would be meaningful to me, but attract a few more people. So your presence here, especially if you're a subscriber, has been vital to a publisher being interested in me and the book. I thank you so much. Perfectly Hidden Depression comes out November the 1st, 2019. So let's feature some of your emails and questions to me about Perfectly Hidden Depression. The first is about how to find balance between creativity and perfectionism. She says, I've been struggling the past few years without knowing exactly why, because there was no big trauma or inciting incident, but I gradually began to feel more and more isolated, even as I made choices that enforced my isolation, retreating farther and farther from the spotlight and attention. I left the country, basically quit my writing career, and spent a good few months wallowing, wondering how I'd let myself get so far off track. I'm the good child. An only child who never got in trouble, whose accomplishments look amazing on paper. But in reality, I feel like no one sees me. No one cares what I'm doing or appreciates my work. I'm so deep in the show no pain mask. I've taken myself to the ER more than once without telling anyone. Only reporting the problem to my family in a factual way the day after discharge. It's always felt easier to suffer alone where I don't have the added stress of pretending everything is fine. So, obviously, I kind of identify with a few of your PhD markers, like 17 of them. Finding your podcast and your work has sparked the biggest aha moment. I see more and more of the areas where I'm still leaning on my childhood coping strategies, and I'm working to identify ways I can make changes. My question is this. I used to use writing as an emotional outlet and a place to dream. But my perfectionism has crippled me, making me slave to an internal editor who is so relentlessly critical that writing or even hearing author friends talk about writing makes me feel painfully incompetent. I can see where and how I need to make behavioral changes in my personal life and relationships, but when it comes to creative work, I'm just stuck on how to move forward. I can't even enjoy when fans reach out to me saying they loved one of my books. My gut reaction is always, why? It doesn't make sense that anyone would enjoy this flawed thing I created. Objectively, I am talented, but in practice, I always end up hating what I create. A friend says I have book dysmorphia. And she goes on just a little bit more. Honestly, I think I'm afraid to succeed, because I wouldn't be able to hide anymore if I were a best-selling author. But I don't want to keep hiding the worlds I've created. I want to be able to share my creative side without all the self-loathing. I just have no idea how to escape my toxic mindset. It's wonderful to be able to put a name on what I've been experiencing, and I'm endlessly grateful to have your podcast and literature as a resource as I work to get unstuck. I was so struck by this question. One, I think it really applies to anyone that is perfectionistic or has perfectly hidden depression because you constantly critique your own accomplishments. But more personally, I'm a first-time writer but have had many years of perfectionism under my belt. So in so doing, my sense of tremendous vulnerability struck me hard and even paralyzed me in the writing process. In fact, about halfway through, I realized that without a shadow of a doubt, as soon as this book was published, or even went to the printer, I would figure something out, hear about something I wished I'd included, or maybe even learn something that would cause me to disagree with myself. This book that I've been so passionate about would be imperfect, and I had to live with that. I was paralyzed, staring at my screen for several days, not able to write. And then I had to smile, of course. An Imperfect Guide to Healing Perfectionism was in and of itself perfectly imperfect. But more to your question. Michael Yapko, who is an international expert on depression, would ask you to think about this. How do you get to decide whether you are talented or not? Whether you are accomplished or not? He believes that those who struggle with believing that their work is inferior, doesn't really have the right to make that decision. For example, if I cook a meal for you and you say you loved it, how is it I get to decide whether it's good or not? What others believe or think isn't in your control. Of course, that's what perfectionism will tell you, that you actually can control or measure or meet others' expectations if you just try hard enough. And you can never try hard enough if you're a perfectionist but that's not true. One person will think there's too much salt. Another will say it's just right. In fact, I've seen that on the Food Network where even the judges disagree. The actual vulnerability doesn't come from what people think about it or doesn't have to come from what people decide about it. The vulnerability comes in cooking for other people at all, for offering what you do, for offering your accomplishment, your talent, your creativity. It obviously takes some healthy narcissism to do that. But I think for this question, my point is, in some ways you're deciding for others what is theirs to decide. I also think that this listener has to get down to where that critical voice was born. Whose voice do you hear that you aren't actually talented? Where did you get the beliefs you have that you shouldn't be proud that you must always question things to the point that it turns into constant self-loathing. I would go back to the source of both your rigid beliefs and to traumas or childhood messages that told you you weren't enough and you never would be. Perhaps your answer lies there. This comment was made on my website after the commenter had taken the questionnaire on Perfectly Hidden Depression. And that questionnaire will be in the show notes. She says, "Thanks, this is interesting. I scored twenty-two out of twenty-five and sometimes feel depressed, but I describe it more as blah feeling. I rarely cry. I can get up and go to work, take care of the kids. I'm happily married, but I'm pretty mentally absent, especially night and mornings. I grew up with an abusive stepdad and suicidal mom. My sibling expressed their feelings and got beat up for it, so I just stayed quiet. Life is good, I'm super grateful. But, very interesting but there, right? <laughs> it says a lot. I'm super grateful, but. there's so many clues here that this person is hiding, although her life looks fine. She's still staying quiet or invisible. It sounded to me as if as soon as her tasks for the day had ended, her purpose couldn't be found. Again, that tendency to define yourself with accomplishment in perfectly hidden depression. So, she became invisible, what she calls blah. She's quote-unquote happily married, but when is it that most couples find time to be together? At night and early morning, when she feels blah. Has she even recognized the damage done to her from the abuse and a mom that was suicidal? There was no safety anywhere. She's turned out to be someone who's grateful, counting her blessings, and that's healthy, but not when it's the only place that you go. In therapy the other day, I used the analogy of being in a swimming pool and you're always swimming in the shallow end. You're aware to some extent that the deeper end exists. After all, it's the same water, but you don't go there. And yet when you think about it, whatever's happening in the deep end affects the shallow end and vice versa. I think it's healthier to know you can swim in either end. The end that is darker and takes more effort is deeper Maybe you even need a life preserver at first. But you can go there. You can swim there. And you can be happy in the shallow end. But you have the ability to live your life in the entire pool. Again, it's just an analogy, but sometimes we learn the best through metaphor. I did write her back and say just that to her. And she wrote me and said, you know, I think you're right. She decided to try some therapy to help. In the next question, we get to hear the voice of the questioner. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I'm an INFP, highly sensitive person with a lot of self-hatred. How does a person actually love themselves? How do I get from self-hatred to self-love? You know, many of you may be Myers-Briggs fans, and I think Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and all that stuff is really wonderful. It's fine by me if it helps people. But I was not sure whether this listener was asking if Perfectly Hidden Depression to be part of INFP, which is Introverted Intuitive Feeling and Perception, or she was just talking more about Perfectly Hidden Depression. In fact, someone wrote me a while back that they were an INFJ, which is very close to INFP, and thought I was saying that that particular category was somehow bad, which I'm not. I looked up the characteristics of an INFP. And they're idealistic, they seek harmony, they're open-minded and flexible, dislike being constrained by rules. That is definitely not perfectly hidden depression. They're very creative, passionate, energetic, dedicated and hard-working. Well, some of that does sound like perfectly hidden depression, doesn't it? The weaknesses are they're too idealistic? Mm, maybe not for perfectly hidden depression. They're too altruistic? That definitely sounds like it. Sometimes see themselves as selfish, but only because they want to give so much more than they are able to. They're impractical. That's not perfectly in depression. Dislike dealing with data. That's not either. They take things personally. Mm, Not sure. And they're difficult to get to know. Yes, probably people with perfectly in depression are very private and reserved. They may not look that way. They may look very engaged, but they keep a lot to themselves. However, she also talks about wanting to go from self-hate to self-love, which is quite a dramatic way to present her dilemma. And it's interesting to me that she's a Myers-Briggs person because that method stresses that all personality types have their strengths and weaknesses, and yet obviously she sees her struggles as bad or unacceptable, and they lead to self-loathing. The answer to her question lies for me in self-acceptance. I think it may be difficult to get to self-acceptance if you're too far on either side of the spectrum where you hate yourself or you love yourself too much and have little humility. Perhaps it's best to consider that it's a journey to the middle where you can list strengths or identify your strengths and you can identify your vulnerabilities and you can accept that both are there. Hatred towards yourself or others takes up an immense amount of emotional energy. So you can grow self-acceptance by taking very small steps, beginning to tell one friend about something you did that you now regret, and hearing their understanding and let it soak in. Or actually brag on yourself a little bit. Tell someone something you're proud of about you. That's not narcissism. That's simply claiming your worth. If you can do this, accept both your strengths and your vulnerabilities You can begin to give that gift to others as well as to yourself. And here's the last question about perfectly hidden depression. Your description of PhD, perfectly hidden depression, could have described me in my entirety. I have battled with my mental health for years. I've tried several different forms of therapy and survived several serious suicide attempts. The reason that conventional therapies have never worked for me has hit me squarely between the eyes after reading your article. It was due to my inability to really communicate my feelings and struggles and wearing the carefully cultivated mask that gave the impression that I was doing well in therapy. I was the model patient, the one in control when really I was anything but. I presented my mask in all aspects of my daily life and with all my personal relationships. I am currently in therapy with a therapist who I feel I'm working well with, but I'm still avoiding the issues that I should really address. Because to confront those might make me less perfect. To speak aloud all the ugly facets. And the realization that I might not like the real person behind the facade, much less know that real person. My facade has been my life for so many years. I'm not sure what is left if you take that away. But maybe it's time to find out. So I just wanted to reach out and say thank you. You've given me a bit of a starting point. My long road to recovery may at last have some signposts along the way. Well, of course, you're very welcome. Writing about perfectly hidden depression and getting to know more about it from people just like you and all of you has been my passion for the last five and a half years. So here's my answer. Obviously, you know, that looking like the perfect patient will never lead to true healing because you're trying to morph yourself into who you believe the therapist needs you to be or she or he tells you you're making great progress when you know you actually go home to low self-worth or even suicidal thoughts or to loneliness or to despair. You're taking care of the therapist rather than the other way around and it's a hard habit to break. I know that when I was in therapy the first couple of times, I only presented what I thought would be okay for me to talk about. I certainly didn't present some of the things that were really going on in my life that were quite chaotic. I got there, but it took me a while. So where do you begin when you've got that situation with a therapist or a friend or whomever? You start out by telling your therapist there are things you're very scared to share. You start where you are. You can talk about the process of sharing before you actually do. That can really help. Talk about what you're afraid their reaction will be, what you're afraid of losing, what you're afraid of uncovering, what you're nervous about revealing, what has happened other times when you've tried to reveal. Maybe you were ignored or even not believed. That's actually a frequent happening with perfectly hidden depression. People don't see you that way, so they look at you incredulously and say, what? You've got a great life. What are you talking about? But spend as much time there as you need to, and then move forward. Your trust will be increased. Your comfort with risk will hopefully increase as well. I'm so sad for you that your life has been riddled with attempts to get help, and you didn't receive it, and obviously there were extremely severe results. Thank you so much for letting me know, and I wish you all the best. I promise it will end feeling good and free to ultimately take down that persona. It's far less work, and the payoff can be pretty amazing. Thank you so much for being a part of self-work. I cannot thank enough the many people this month who left me, or last month, August, who left me written reviews on iTunes. iTunes has actually changed a lot of things, and I had to get rid of some some identifiers, especially with depression. And so your reviews are the way that people get to know that self-work exists and that it's helpful, other than you telling people, of course, and that's the most important way. But thank you. One person says, even podcasts with topics that don't apply to me, I still learn from or gain a coping skill. Another says, Dr. Rutherford is down to earth and shares her own life experiences in her podcast. It shows therapists are just like the rest of us with their own problems as well. You betcha. Another says, not only do I learn so much, but her calm voice of reason definitely reduces my stress. Love this podcast. Thank you so much, Sherry. Someone says, I give solid, actionable advice. Thank you. Cole says, Dr. Rutherford is a needed voice in this overwhelming, fast-paced life and pop culture society we live in. It's a daily struggle to find self-support from the challenging social justice work I do. Wow. Another says, she's authentic. And at the end of each show, she reads a listener's email and answers it, which I guess this person likes. Someone else says, very helpful. My only problem is the episodes are too short, and I wish they were more in-depth. I answered that last time. So thanks to those of you who've left me written reviews on iTunes or anywhere, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever. I truly appreciate it. There are many ways to reach out to me. com is my website, and you can subscribe there. And if you do, you'll receive a weekly newsletter with my blog post and my podcast. It's a really convenient way of keeping up. You can email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. I will get back with you. It may take me a little while. More and more of those are coming in. Oh, I did forget to read one of these. Somebody complained that the introduction was too long. <laughs> so I try to keep today's short. <laughs> Constructive criticism is always good, right? Again, I'm over on Instagram at DrMargaretRutherford. I've got a professional Facebook page at, again, drmargaretrutherford. Please join me over there. I'd love to get to know you. And a fairly new way of us talking and being together is through my Facebook closed group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're up to about 1,200 people, and I'm really enjoying it. And I think it's a good supportive group. Thanks for being here today. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.